all. Happy Valentine's Day. I love looking out, seeing hardcore mountain people that are here on a snow day like this. I think back, um, I was telling the story earlier this morning. We went to a conference, I think it was like two years ago or something. We were at a conference in Colorado Springs with a speaker who um, has now is now, I just consider, a near, dear friend and partner of Little Chapel. He, he loves us here, and we love him back. He calls us the mountain people. And I love that, actually. It touches me every time he calls us the mountain people. And we're at a conference down there, and a, um, a big snowstorm blew in. And they were worried about us, like having to come up the pass and all this stuff. So they said, you know, you can leave or choose to stay today. And he kind of like gave his word that like, we won't do what we were going to do this afternoon. I'll just teach other things for those who stay. And he's saying, we'll pick up tomorrow what we would have done. And then so we all come back into the classroom after, after a break for this conference. We come in there, and the only people are mostly the only people left in the room were the mountain people. All the Colorado Springs people had gone home, and, ter- and he's, he's standing there going, you mountain people, you're the only people that are here. We did this for you. <laughs> Love that. We're not scared, are we? <laughs> Love it. Love it. So, Father, we ask a blessing on this time. I ask that, um, that we would know your love deeper. We want to know how you walk us into being your anointed people. How do we follow you there? What are your ways? Uh, because we're not satisfied. We want, we want more anointing. We want more power on your church. We want more of the weight of your presence so that the the world just has to choose. We want them to look at your church here and all over this county and all over this country. And we want um, the people in this world to have to choose because your glory is on display. And we offer ourselves. We're those people. We want your glory on us. So teach us how to go there, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for being here. Amen. So we're a ways into a series on anointing. Um, We are the anointed people, right? If you're curious what we've taught this far and you don't know what it is, you should go out to our website on the internet and start watching from the beginning of the series because it'll lead you right here. This morning, you know, lately, I think the last two Sundays, we've really focused on how submission is the doorway to anointing. Um, I have more to teach on submission, but we're not doing that this morning. I feel like we're, that's tabled, and I don't know, maybe that's next week or the week after or something. We're going to kind of return back to that. This morning, I think we're ready, and I feel like the Lord is having us really look at um, how do we begin to walk, uh, walk in and walk into anointing. Now, here's what I want to say, and you know that. I'm going to tell you things that you know because you guys are good. Um, It's all about following Jesus, right? Now, here's the thing. Jesus had three short years. I I hate saying it this way because he he had a a long ministry before he had his three years of ministry, right? And his ministry's never stopped. It's going on today. It's happening right now. In this place, it's happening in your homes. But he had three years to minister to really accomplish. Um, uh, I'm gonna just for the sake. I'm just gonna say to accomplish one thing. Um, 
aside from, we just have to say this, aside from laying his life down to redeem <laughs> everyone in history and, and accomplish that work, right? Aside from that, what did he do for three years? He was preparing 12 people, right, to be the carriers of his anointing. And he's, he's still doing it. In other words, when we look, um, when we look at uh, the Gospels, all the way from the very first disciple he chose to the 12th one, even just their choosing, what was he choosing? He was choosing people that would carry and hold the power and authority of the kingdom, the presence of the Holy Spirit upon in order to build the kingdom to reveal the Father's heart. Right? In other words, he was already, from the choosing of the first disciple, he was already establishing the church, the place of his glory in this place. And he's still doing it. Why do I say all that? Um, today, we are going to go through what we normally think of as uh, three stories, three narratives of, um, of Jesus um, discipling, teaching, walking with his disciples, and we normally think of it as three stories. Now, I'm going to invite you to do this a little different um, with me this morning because he did it a little different with me as I was preparing. Um, so often we separate out these moments that Jesus has with his disciples into these separate stories. And the thing is, sometimes you've got to keep reading, you know? Sometimes you've got to read on a little bit because what you find out is a lot of what we hold as separate stories is, is all kind of the continuation of one narrative. And there's a progression there. In other words, what are we going to look at? We're going to look at this. Um, Jesus was the master, he still is and was the master discipler of bringing people into those who could hold the glory of God. He was discipling for that. And you can begin to see a progression. What, what is, how does he do it? What are his ways? What step does he take first? And as you follow the narrative, what does he do next? What is deeper than that? What creates a disciple who has a greater faith, a deeper ability to hold more glory, more anointing? And then in the same narrative, we're going to see he takes a third step. What could be deeper than that? And you're going to see that there's a progression that when we put the narrative back together, instead of splitting it apart into side dishes, <laughs> you find out that Jesus, as, as the absolute brilliant one, as the, the inspired um, you know, he was God, but as man filled with the Spirit, how did he disciple people into greater and greater anointing? And I think there's a surprise here. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let it out now and then let you see it. I think as the church and the the way that we normally think is perfectly backwards. <laughs> um, and not that it throws us too far off track because look, um, step number one is an important step, right? It's as important as step two or three. It's just not as deep. We think step number one is the deepest and step number three is act, as we progress is actually deeper. Let's correct our thinking. Let's not think backwards, okay? Are you in? Does that sound good? Okay. Um, turn to, I'm going to hit one scripture really quick before we jump into that narrative. Romans 10 and verse 17. This is the only one I'm really going to like, like grab out as a standalone thing. I just, 
It's so important we do this first because it leads us somewhere. Here it says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now let me tell you what it doesn't say. And I think this is what we normally think it says. It does not say faith comes by hearing the word of God. <laughs> it, it's a two-part sentence. It says faith comes by hearing. Now listen, we're talking about this is heart hearing. You know, you read scriptures, we're familiar with places where it's, it talks about the eyes of the heart, the ears of the heart. Do you have eyes to see and ears to hear? I'm, I'm going to suggest it's not talking about these <laughs> or these. It's, talk, it's talking about hearing in the spirit. The scripture talks about the spiritual is foolishness to the flesh. It's a spiritual hearing that's being talked about here. And it says, so how does faith come? That's step number one. By hearing. Okay? Spiritual hearing. Hearing in the spirit. Well, then, in this compound sentence, it says, and hearing. How does, so in other words, the sentence structure, we could read it like, and hearing comes by What? The word of God. Now watch this. It's not talking about this. <laughs> In this case, um, this word, this word, word, this is rhema, okay? This is the fresh breathed word. This is the word God speaks to you. Otherwise, you know, I can, I can read this. I can start reading out of here randomly right now to you and you can hear me, but it doesn't necessarily mean you can hear anything. In the spirit. That's a miracle. And that's a thing that is foolishness to the flesh. That's a thing that only the spirit can hear. Am I doing okay? Are you checking? In other words, faith comes by hearing. How do we get faith? By hearing in the spirit. How do we have the capacity to hear? By the rhema word of God. You see, it's a progressive thing. We hear as God speaks to us. We, as God speaks to us, we gain the capacity to hear. And it's by hearing that we gain faith, which is the gift of God. It says that somewhere. <laughs> it's the gift of God. Do you know you didn't, you didn't, kind of, you didn't get your faith? You didn't work it, work it up or get yourself the ability to have faith. It's the gift of God because it comes by the fresh-breathed voice of God into your life. That gives you the capacity to hear in the Spirit. And it's that capacity that faith comes. Okay, that was just a warm-up. All right, um, get rid of this. Okay, so now we're going to start reading into this narrative here. Um, go to Luke chapter 9. I'm starting right in verse 1. While you turn there, I'm going to tell you, uh, you know, sometimes in order to get the details, in order to get the real insight, the real power of following Jesus, even just following him through what's recorded about his ministry, you have to kind of grab from each of the Gospels. Why? This one, they're, they're synoptic, right? So in other words, they're telling the same story because it's a real story. <laughs> they are accounts of what really happened. But um, having said that, they go together like a narrative, but you get one detail. You turn to this gospel, turn to Mark, you get a detail. You turn over to Matthew, and in that same place, you get another one. So get ready to go with me. We're going to kind of 
flip back and forth in the same narrative. Okay, we're starting right here in Luke 9 and verse 1. It says, Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God. What are they, what's preached? The kingdom of God. In fact, that's the only thing Jesus ever taught, if you pay close attention, is the kingdom of God. And to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed, now listen to this, verse 6, so they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing everywhere. <laughs> All that to lead up to, so they departed, they went out and preached the gospel and, and healed the sick everywhere. Wow, that's successful. <laughs> that was highly successful, was it not? Um, isn't, has anybody, and this is a serious question, would you give me a show of hands? Has anybody had a season like that in your life where you knew you were being sent by Jesus, whatever that calling, whatever that sending was, which had to have something to do with t preaching the kingdom of God because that's all that he does. Um, you've had a season and that power and authority was there and you were very, very successful. Anyone? Lots of you. Awesome. So you've had that. Did the season last forever? <laughs> and is that okay? Okay, now, now watch this. It is okay. And, and I want to tell you, he means for you to have those seasons in your life. Now let me tell you something, though. This is what we do. As the church, we think that is the highest anointing, don't we? That is the deepest place. That's the highest place. What could be higher in the anointing of God as the chosen people revealing the heart of the Father as what could be more pinnacle than that, having power and authority from Jesus and going out with great ravishing success and doing it, doing the stuff that preaches the, the good news of the kingdom, that puts it on display. What could be higher than that? Now, I'm going to suggest that we do actually have it backwards, that that's the lowest rung on the ladder. <laughs> that's, is that an important fate? Now, listen, when he sent them out and they had great success, do you think that it bolstered or it brought them to a new place of faith as the anointed people? Yes. And was that, is that important? Of critical importance, right? Absolutely necessary that we have seasons where we're in almost unlimited power and authority and we watch, we watch God's faithfulness to grant that, that effectiveness of the weight of the Holy Spirit, the presence upon us. Absolutely critical, yes? But I'm going to suggest it's the first step into the anointed life. Now, do you know why? I'm actually going to, I was just, as the Lord started to show me this, I'm going, well, yeah, but like, why? Is it, is there really a progression or a ranking here, Lord? What's going on here? Why are you speaking this to me? And I believe he showed me. You know why? That's a faith that is completely dependent upon the success. 
If we only ever just walked in power and authority and we never were challenged in the way of our faith, um, actually, let me try it this way. We walk in great, great anointing, power and authority for the accomplishment of the things of the kingdom to witness to his glory. And we have ravishing success in this season. Here's the problem. If that's the only faith we have, when the success begins to wane, so does the faith. <laughs> right? So there's a deeper faith. Yes? Now, I'm going to tell you, what would Jesus, the best, he said, go make disciples, right? He modeled it first. All he ever did was make disciples. What would that rabbi do right after sending in power and authority? And they, and they come back. What would he do next? What would be the next step? What is a deeper faith or a, or a higher, I don't care how you do it, a higher faith that would, that would make the disciple a greater vessel for a greater weight of glory, for a greater anointing? Let's find out. Let's go to... Okay, we're going to come back to that. Let's go to... Um, you were right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mark 6:30. Mark chapter 6 and verse 30. Now, here's what you got to know. We're about to read another story and normally we separate it out and we go this is a second story. And what I want to tell you is this is right in order and it's part of the same narrative. So Jesus is accomplishing the same thing. He's going deeper, deeper. Or if you like, higher, higher, okay, in their faith to carry anointing. You know, you know the ability to hold, hold anointing is all about faith. The vessel that can carry a great weight of the presence of God, and speaking of you, is, is someone who has that faith, okay? Okay, here we go, 630, Mark 630. Then... So see, even that word, then, in other words, it's a continuation of the same narrative. The apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both of what they had done and what they had taught. Now watch this. They just got back from what? From, from the success, from having the power and authority. Now what are they doing? They're giving account. They're, they're telling him all, that's what that is. They're giving account. They're telling him all that they've done, all that they've taught. And verse 31, and he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. Now it says, in other words, they've been out ministering. They've been highly successful. Like, like it seems like I think everybody in the place has had a season like that. V great success, but it still leaves you tired, doesn't it? pouring out to other people. They're tired, and Jesus says, um, come away with me. And he's going to take them to a place of rest. Now watch this, verse 32. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitudes saw them departing, and many knew him, speaking of Jesus, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus... When he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. 
Now listen, so in other words, what happened? Jesus said, man, he's going, man, you guys are tired. After all this success, all this power and authority is just wearing me out, <laughs> right? But it's a real thing. You get tired and he says, come away with me to a restful place. Now look, there's two ways we can interpret this. Either um, Jesus was confused and he failed to get him to a restful place. I'm already getting chuckles. I like that, like, that's not it. Or Jesus actually did take them into a situation that would be restful and replenishing. Now, we're about to find out this is a crowd of 5,000 people. Could that possibly be replenishing? What is replenishing? Let's find out. Um, what verse was I on there, folks? 35? Okay, when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a, desert, a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Verse 37, but Jesus answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. That sounds restful, doesn't it? Ooh, I feel so replenished. <laughs> Thanks for the break here, right? He says, you give them something to eat. Now, what's going on here? He's calling them into the crazy. Remember, they've just finished walking in great power and authority because he gave it to them. And he says, preach the kingdom and heal the sick and cast out demons, and they do with great success. Now, what would he do next to develop into a faith that is even greater, that can hold an even greater weight of glory. What would he do? Well, he would take them to a restful place like this to shepherd a crowd of 5,000 people who are hungry. <laughs> now, which, watch, what he, watch what's going on here, though. How would the master create greater faith? He would take them from that power and authority. That creates faith, right? We all agreed on that. Great faith. The greater faith, might it be that the greater faith is when Jesus calls you to something where it's plainly obvious you don't have enough? To take you into a situation, to notice that both of these first two steps in this greater faith for greater anointing for the kingdom of God, both of these steps are ministry poured out to others. Notice that so far. The first two steps, okay? And this second situation that he immediately takes them into is a situation where it's obvious they don't have enough. Okay, now watch this. I'm going to read on. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Is anybody aware he does this? I know he does this, so I'm not going to ask him if he does it with you. Or have you ever been aware of him doing that with you? What did he say? How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Go and see what you do have. He says to them, what do you got? You, you got something. <laughs> Even when you're really tired and worn out and you just got back from a ministry trip, you got something. And he says, go see what you got. And, and uh, so he goes on. And when they found out, they said, um, feels like there's a word missing, five loaves and two fish. 
Verse 39, then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. I mean, this is a mess. Are you you listening to the reality of this? They're grouping them up. and, um, And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he, speaking of Jesus, he looked to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves. Now, what do you think he's gonna do with the loaves? And gave them to his disciples to set before them. In other words, what just happened? They said, well, this is all we got. It's woefully short of what we need. So what do they do? They put it in Jesus's hands. And what does he do? He blesses and breaks it and hands it back. (laughs) Now we're talking about growing into the faith of great anointing. Isn't it a much greater faith when you reach a place where you realize what what we do is we offer what we got, even if it's woefully not enough. (laughs) But the, the faith of the anointed ones are the ones who know I just I take what I got, I give it to Jesus, and He He blesses it. And then He gives it back and it's sufficient. Now that's a different kind of faith, isn't it? Isn't it a greater faith than just walking in great power and authority, healing the sick everywhere you go and casting demons? It's a greater faith, right? Anybody in a season where you feel like you know you have callings on your life, you know things are being asked of you, but you're also pretty, pretty terribly aware that what, what you bring to the game is woefully not enough. Goes on and says, um, uh, and the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now, those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Okay. So they just fed 5,000. How, le- how much leftovers did they take up? 12 baskets. Isn't that funny? Now, you can disagree with me if you want, but I'm convinced to the bottom of my heart that there's a reason there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Huh? There's always more. And there's 12 disciples, right? He was going to take them to a place of rest. I'll tell you something, church. You know what's restful? <laughs> Do you know what's replenishing? is watching the sufficiency of God take what you offer and make it sufficient, even though we're just talking about little old you. That's the anointing, okay? And there is nothing more refreshing, more restful, more replenishing than taking an offering to God, having him bless it and give it back, and watching the sufficiency of God. In other words, all, all 12 disciples had something physical, to stand there and hold their own basket of leftovers. That's creating a deeper faith for anointing. Far deeper than just walking in unlimited power and authority. (laughs) Amen. Amen. So that would be the deepest faith for anointing, right? (laughs) Close. It goes way deeper still. And, uh, and, it, and this narrative, now we're going to take a story that I know you all know. It may be one of the most famous stories. Um, and it happens just next. In fact, if you go to, Ma- I think I skipped to another gospel. 
and I think it's for a reason. Yep, go to Matthew chapter 14. And I want you to know that we're not skipping to a new story. We're still not. In fact, um, Matthew 14 verse 22 starts with the word immediately. I think it's on purpose. In other words, um, God wanted you to know that this next thing happened immediately. <laughs> uh, in other words, the story continues here. And it says, and immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. So, in other words, what would Jesus, the brilliant master who is bringing you into greater anointing all the time, that's his game plan, what would he do to take your faith deeper where you could hold an even greater weight of glory? Well, read how crazy these words are. Um, is it in this gospel? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to read that again. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him. Now, you all know what's going to happen next in this story. They're going to find themselves in a storm. So what would press to greater faith, deeper faith, higher ability to hold anointing would be to send you before him. I don't even like those words. I'm just kind of like, before you? No, it's okay. I'll wait until you're ready to go, Jesus. <laughs> I'm cool waiting. <laughs> right? But he sends, he sends them out on the sea and, um, and into a storm, we're going to find out, while Jesus goes off to pray by himself. I'd be kind of like, I'll go pray with you. <laughs> now, when evening came, he was alone there, speaking of Jesus, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, I bet you, you know they were troubled. They were, they were soiling themselves. That's what they were doing. They were troubled. They were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. So I want you to notice something, actually, before I just read on. In other words, um, God himself is terrifying. In this moment, I think we miss that detail mostly. Do you realize that? Have you had times in your life where you knew God was good, you know the goodness of God, but in that season of your life, God Himself was is terrifying. God's terrifying. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. They're in the middle of a storm, and I, I love, I always love Jesus, but be of good cheer. It's okie dokie. <laughs> right? And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Why? You know, I think um, he's reaching out for a litmus test here, right? So far, Whatever that is, which happens to be Jesus, God himself, walking on the water. But for Peter right now, whatever that is, is terrifying. It's even more terrifying than the circumstance, isn't it? Than the storm. So he needs a litmus test. Is that a, is that a goat? Should I be terrified? Or um, is that Jesus? And what's the, what's the test here? He says, Lord, if it's you... 
if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. Well, how does that prove anything? How is that a good test? I'll tell you, um, I'm just going to, you don't even have to turn here because you won't have time. John chapter 10, um, and I'm reading verse 3, says, um, this is Jesus speaking of of himself and the ways of the kingdom and how it works. And it says, to him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now, we could keep reading there, but it's not necessary. I just, I just want to make it really clear that it is by the rhema word of God, okay, that, that it is our spirit that has recognition with, with God. It is spirit that recognizes spirit. So far, it's not the, um, the frequency of the voice or the way Jesus says the words, so when he's walking by and Jesus, terrifying God is over there and says, be of good cheer, don't worry, it's me. That didn't do it. Why? Because it is by faith is increased by, by hearing and, and that spiritual hearing and hearing by the rhema word of God. Not by study. <laughs> Okay, not, not by the words of God that you might even read out of here. I would never minimize scripture, okay? All has to stand up to scripture. I'm just saying in scripture, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema word of God. So Peter has not had something where he's had spirit recognition, where he can go, yep, It's Jesus. You see, the rhema word of God speaks to the crave, to the deepest crave of the human heart. It is the place where you hunger. It's the place where you're desperate, where God speaks into your days and your spirit resonates because the word of God speaks to the hunger that you have. It speaks to the longing of the heart. It's the place where you burn. It's like the guys on the Emmaus Road, right? They're, they've walked with Jesus. They didn't even know it when they were doing it. And later, after Jesus is gone, now they're going, whoa, that was him. And they're going, didn't our hearts burn within us? You see, the rhema word of God burns in the heart. It's not an academic exercise. And it's when Jesus says, okay, come out to me, that Peter can go, yep. That's Jesus. And Jesus is developing a faith of anointing now. Now, I'm going to read it here, but before I even do, I want to tell you, um, I want you to notice, as Peter is doing this, is he ministering to anyone? (laughs) He has, why does he need to get out of the boat and start walking on the water? For anybody else? For himself. And and what's this accomplishing for him? to be a disciple, to get to Jesus. You see, the deepest faith, and I'm going to show it to you, the deepest faith for anointing, the highest place, the deepest place is the place where the love of Jesus is just for you. It's just the crave to want to be, we heard this in a testimony this morning, to want to be where he is, to want to do what he's doing. I just want to be where you are. I just want to do what you're doing. I crave and I long for it. And hearing, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema word, by Jesus saying, okay, come on, 
not for ministry for anyone else. The deepest faith is the faith that says he wants me to be with him where he is. For what? For what purpose? For that purpose. (laughs) He just loves you like that. The deepest anointing is the assurance of your identity. I'm going to tell you one thing that, and his identity, right? One thing I skipped over, and it's just not going to work out that way, so I'm going back to it. Okay, Um, which gospel is this? Oops. This is in uh, Luke, chapter 9, starting verse 17. I'm just going to read this quickly because um, this this really pulls something together that we can't miss. He said to them... um, well, let me do this. This is when the 70, and some guests will say the 72. We could argue about that all day, but let's don't. Um, they came back from the same sending, um, exactly the same words. Preach the kingdom, heal the sick, cast demons. This time it was a bigger group of people going out to do it, and they come back and what? They're giving account. Now listen, in verse 17, it says, The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. In other words, what? Um, they, they just experienced that success that we're talking about. Power and authority. Isn't this wonderful? And verse 18, and he said to them, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What is that? Why does he say that? Who's got it? What's the point of saying that? He's identifying himself, isn't he? He's saying something about his identity. He's saying, I am, right? I am. He's, giving, he's saying, I am God. I was there when all of this started. I'm the creator. I'm the I am. He's identifying God's identity. Verse 19, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, speaking of the demonic, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now listen, here's why we're reading this. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. In other words, what? Don't rejoice in the success of it all. It's fine, celebrate that or whatever. But there's something else to rejoice in. And he says that the spirits, um, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. What's that mean? Why does he say that? In other words, rejoice in who you are. Be aware of who I am. Rejoice in who you are. You get wrapped up in the success and you make it all about that. You get wrapped up in power and authority all the time, even though every season is not that. And you get all wrapped up in that. And what you have is a faith that rises and falls on success as opposed to a faith that is just grounded in who he is, and so therefore, who am I? What is the highest faith? What is the greatest faith to be, to be a chosen one that can hold a weight of his glory that is mind-blowing? It's the one that has nothing to do with ministry. Well, ministry to you. <laughs> do you know you minister to yourself? Or you better, <laughs> because... Other people are going to let you down. You, you, it says encourage yourself in the Lord. Somewhere it says that. You, we, minister, <laughs> we minister to ourselves, okay? We let the Holy Spirit, minister, spirit to spirit, we're ministered to. And that's the story of Peter walking on the water. <laughs> 
isn't it? Okay. So watch this. I'm going to go back to um, um, Matthew 14. I'm going to start reading in verse 29. Begin kind of wrapping up with this. So Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now listen, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Now I know this is taught all the time. I've done it myself. I've taught it this way. I've heard other people teach this. And it's true that um, what happened there. So as soon as he regarded the circumstances as superior to Jesus' call, the rhema voice of Jesus calling him to that intimacy, um, then he sinks, right? And that, that's absolutely true. That's, that's absolutely right. I just want to show you something else here. Verse 32, And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Do you mean to tell me Jesus could have made it easier for Peter by just, why wouldn't he calm the water first? <laughs> and then Peter could have just got out of the boat and he could have been going over on the water, right? But no, he's going, he's coming across. He's, Jesus is purposely leaving it so that the circumstances have to be overcome. Peter has got to walk over the top of the circumstances to, to, um, What's the word I'm looking for? To, um, how about, respond to the rhema voice of Jesus. In order to respond with obedience and come to the deepest faith, to the highest place, he's got to walk above the circumstances. He's got, the, what is this faith? This is the faith that the voice of God is superior to the circumstances. Jesus calls me, Jesus, you call me to yourself, I'm coming. It doesn't matter how impossible. It doesn't matter what circumstances are set up that make it look like there is some barrier between me and you, the intimacy that you call me to. It doesn't matter what the circumstance, I'm coming because you are superior to any circumstance of this world. It's the moment that he begins to look at the circumstance over the superiority of the rhema voice of God that he begins to sink. Now, it should be comforting that um, Jesus doesn't go, well, shoot, we lost one. We, <laughs> I'm going to have to choose another 12th. <laughs> okay, he didn't do that. Nothing, I don't think, well, I don't know, actually, it might have took Jesus by surprise. He was ministering by the Spirit, wasn't he? Just like you do. And, and church, I think we get it backwards. We think we're working our way up to unlimited power and authority. And that's going to witness to the living God more than anything else. I want to show you, actually, um, continue on to verse 33. I want to show you, this, this is really kind of my final Final thing I need to say to you today. Verse 33, Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This narrative that goes the first step, and then then, then they fed a crowd, 
They offered what wasn't enough. He blessed it and handed it back and they ministered with it and it was plenty. And then immediately he had them get in a boat into the storm for the ministry that is just for self. In the first two steps, you will not see it recorded that it caused anybody to worship God. I'm not saying people didn't worship God. I'm sure that they did. <laughs> but by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the writing of this um, perfect word, this is the place where um, it says it caused people to worship him. The place of intimacy, the highest faith, where you're, you're not toiling in any kind of ministry. The highest faith, the deepest, the greatest anointing is the place of intimacy with Jesus where, where despite all circumstances, he's saying come and you're, you walk over the top of the circumstances into a place of intimacy that is, that is just, P Peter wasn't ministering for those guys in the boat. He wasn't doing any of this for those guys in the boat. It was merely the crave, the hunger, the longing of his own heart that said, I need to know if that's God. Call me out to you. Just call me. I don't even care about the circumstances. And the moment Jesus said, okay, come, can you imagine? I mean, it's crazy stuff. You have to imagine. He did crazier than feeding 5,000 people with some loaves. He stepped out of the boat and he just went. In neither of the other two stories is it recorded that people worshipped God. <laughs> Here, it caused them to worship. Just the place of your intimacy is the highest anointing. The place where I love you so much, you can call me and I will. there are no circumstances that are going to stop me from obeying your voice that says, come to me, come draw close to me is the ministry of the kingdom, is the glory of God that causes people to worship. And that's it. <laughs> that's all you need to know. <laughs> Actually, I think it's true. It sounded like I was cracking a joke. I think that's all you need to know. Do you know that um, the, the outworking of power and authority is the easy stuff for him? <laughs> it really is. Granting them all power and authority over demons and illness and the great effectiveness to preach the gospel was the easy part. To send them for great success was, I don't think he broke one single bead of sweat <laughs> when he did that. But your heart, the miracle of your heart wanting to draw close despite any circumstances that make drawing close seem impossible, that's the miracle stuff. Amen? Amen, amen. Okay, can I pray for you? Okay. And so, Father, we want to think rightly. We want to think rightly. So I'm asking for a miracle that all these, all these seeds would just, would just plant in the best soil in our hearts this morning. 
Lord, we thank you on this day that we celebrate love, that you love us like that, that your highest place is not some place of great ministry. Your highest place is the place where you call us um, just into intimacy for nobody but us. We thank you, uh, Lord, that you think of us like that. And we ask that you correct our thinking. We, we want to... We want to know you in that deep place. Lord, I ask that you would grant us um, a revelation, not, not a mind one, but a revelation in the heart, Lord, the actual hearing that you speak of, that you'd grant us a revelation that, um, that the power and authority to reveal your glory is the easy stuff. We look forward to those seasons. We know there's, there's more seasons of that coming, and we're, we're ready. <laughs> we're all in, Lord. And I ask that you'd give us a great revelation, even right now. Work the miracle. That's the easy stuff. And today, Lord, I ask that um, even right now, I ask in the name of Jesus that your voice would be heard saying, Come. Lord, I'm asking for um, the miracle that you worked with Peter that day. I ask for the same miracle for the people here, for everyone here, Lord. They all have some circumstances that seems to be a barrier to draw to you in intimacy. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would give a revelation, that, uh, that you would just reveal to every heart that when you say come, there is no circumstance they can't walk over the top of to be in that place with you. I want to invite you right now. I'm going to, I'm going to pray this in just a moment. But I want to invite you right now to, to ask the Lord to, to give you a, an understanding or a picture or a word about a barrier that is keeping you from, from intimacy, from just walking over and drawing close. Let him show it to you. Okay, now if he revealed, for any of you, if he revealed the circumstance that is keeping you from just walking on over, I want you to ask him for the picture of your miracle. Lord, we're asking for miracles right now. And just allow yourself to see yourself walking right over the top of, right around. You're, you're far above the circumstance that is hindering that walking into that intimacy. I want you to see yourself Overcoming it. Holy Spirit, we're asking you to grant visions, images, revelations of the miracle you're working right now. They're going right over the top of the circumstance.
Now, if he gave you an experience of walking right over the top of that hindering circumstance, I want you to stay right there and just pay attention. When you get to Jesus, what does he do? What does he have for you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody want to praise him for a miracle you think you just got? <laughs> You're sure you just got? Can we give him a praise? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for loving us like that. <laughs>